0: what could we do that's huge? That like most people would just be like, "That, that sounds crazy, but actually kind of smart. And we thought, what about like going up against some of these companies like Google and Amazon and Facebook that have taken people's data for so long, but A, don't provide them any transparency over what data they're sharing. B, don't give them any control over the data they share. And three, don't even compensate them for the data at the end of the day, but do profit off their data with billions of dollars each year. So we read a stat, I think in April, that big tech had made $500 billion off people's data last year alone. And we thought, okay, what if we were able to split a small piece of that pie for people and allowed them to be cut into the data economy through a product like Surf?
1: You are now listening to the Next Iteration podcast with your hosts, Fuad and Damien. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmini, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode. Awesome. Well, welcome back to the Next Generation Podcast. Today's guest is Swish. Uh, Swish, some of you might have heard of him, some of you have seen him at the Maddie. Uh, he's pretty famous <laughs> in the Toronto tech community. He's a serial entrepreneur, author, speaker, and investor. Uh, he's currently the CEO of TrueFan, a tech company that builds products to help with uh improving brand engagement um so we're super excited to talk to him today about his entrepreneurial activities true fan and his time as an investor at ajax so yeah welcome to the podcast thanks so much
0: appreciate it guys and yeah no hopefully you have not seen me at the maddie but uh (laughs) very very happy to be here and and share a little bit of what we're working on
2: yeah we're thrilled to have you and i mean for so for those that don't know you or whose name may be familiar i'm just going to assume that you just don't use linkedin because <laughs> you're pretty much just like an A-list celebrity on there right now, right?
0: Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I was one of the first students, I feel, to post on LinkedIn. So back mm-hmm. when 2015 happened, I started posting on LinkedIn. I think the only content you saw on LinkedIn was people posting like pyramid schemes or looking for a job. There was no like in between, you know? So I kind of took it on myself to be a student on LinkedIn. I interviewed high profile people, shared their stories, mainly trying to focus it towards the college audience. And that got the attention of LinkedIn to then, you know, be a part of their campus editor program for two years. And then obviously start a business and very much highlight a little bit about what it's like to be an entrepreneur on LinkedIn. That's been pretty nice, but very, very nice words. I appreciate you guys saying that. In terms of my background overall, uh, I do run a company called TrueFan right now. Like the bio said, we we build products that improve brand engagement, especially while compensating users for their data. So in the last kind of three years, we built a privacy first data generation and analytics product where we can generate social data, web data, as well as first party data and get that directly from consumers for brands while compensating the end consumer. Um, traditionally, we've compensated the end consumer with giveaways, where we've given away a ton of prizes and given people the chance to win a prize. And then very recently, actually, like last week, we launched the open beta for Surf, um, which is a browser extension. It gives you points for just passively browsing the web like normal, and that's a guaranteed prize we're giving to people for their browsing data, which they already technically share with Google and all of these other search engines at it is. So we're pretty excited about that um, team now of about 42 people based mainly in Toronto. And like I mentioned, started three years ago. So this has been a pretty fast journey.
2: Yeah. And it's it's an insane journey, even just watching it happen through LinkedIn uh, as mm-hmm. well. So, I mean, you kind of just jumped into true Fan, So let's go ahead and explore this and then sure. we'll abstract out into entrepreneurship a bit. Yep. But when did, so when did you first know that you had a viable idea because You know, like a lot of people that I talk to and perhaps like a lot of young people, they have these random offshoot idea, business ideas that always pop into their head, but most don't give much credence to them. So what was that starting point for you?
0: I mean, I still don't know if we have a viable idea, you know, like we're, we're still in the early phases of so many different things. I think when you take a look at the last three years, we've evolved our product every single year. So when we started off initially, it was a simple tool to help any brand or influencer find their top fans on Instagram and Twitter. That was the kind of initial idea for True Fan three, four years ago. Mm. And then the next year after that, you know, Nike was like, oh, we want to look at Adidas's top fans. Coke wanted to look at Pepsi's top fans. We started oh. to add competitive intelligence in as well. And then in our third year, we realized, holy crap, this whole marketing landscape is changing in front of our eyes. You know, cookies are going away. Paid ads are losing a effectiveness. These platforms are being scrutinized by creators because they're not, you know, allowing them to reach out to their own audience. You know, you make a post on Instagram, even if you have 50,000 followers, you're not hitting 50,000 people with that post. They're going to hit probably 5,000, 6,000 people with that post. But what about the other 45,000 that didn't see your post, but are part of your quote community on Instagram? So we started to realize that first party data is more and more important data. You can get directly from consumers, emails, phone numbers, you know, emailing addresses that allow you to truly have ownership over your audience and remarket to them whenever and wherever you want. And so that's where we decided to make our second acquisition of a company called Player. We added in giveaways as a part of our system. We integrated all the giveaway data with our backend social data. So you had one dashboard to look at both. And then that's also now where we came up with the idea of why don't we even do this for web data, but instead of giving people a chance to win a prize, just give them a guaranteed prize for their data. So like I've mentioned, every single year we've evolved and iterated on the podcast. I not on the podcast, Jesus, the next iteration, yikes, Uh, (laughs) on the the product, on the product um, that has made it so that even today, I don't know if it's a truly viable idea. I know that we have really good progress in various areas, but, you know, will this be a billion dollar company still yet to be seen, right? Have no clue about that yet.
2: Right. And you're still refining yeah. that vision. So it's just and it's super interesting to see you come out with Surf too, because it's still yeah. very new. And honestly, I feel like it's a very exciting, uh, a very exciting product to be able to push out, considering yep. that most like re- regular users do not really care about their data or they're not <laughs> thinking about how they're actually using it or who is yeah. trying to take advantage of that for them. Right. So, like, where did that inspiration come from?
0: Yeah, I mean, six, five months ago, six months ago, I don't know, sometime in March we um, were thinking a little bit about, okay, we've had over a million people now enter for the chance to win a prize through our first party data platform. And you know, clearly people are fine sharing their email, they're fine sharing their phone number. If they get something back in value, even the chance to win a prize is something many people are excited about. Mm-hmm. So we thought, what could we do that's huge? That like most people would just be like, that, that sounds crazy, but actually kind of smart. And we thought, what about like going up against some of these companies like Google and Amazon and Facebook that have taken people's data for so long, but A, don't provide them any transparency over what data they're sharing, B, don't give them any control over the data they share, and three, don't even compensate them for the data at the end of the day, but do profit off their data with billions of dollars each year. So we read a stat, I think, in April that big tech had made $500 billion off people's data last year alone. And we thought, okay, what if we were able to split a small piece of that pie for people and allowed them to be cut into the data economy through a product like Surf? So started building Surf out in May. It really did feel like we were building kind of another startup because there was just so much to like, we had to pick a logo, new brand, new text, like build a kind of sub team within TrueFan that was dedicated to Surf on both the customer support product and marketing side. But it was amazing to be able to converge on that, get it out and now start to think about how we can loop and surf with everything we built before.
1: So how, how do you think that model of like splitting the pie with your users will compete against companies like Google or Facebook that already have so much data share? I mean, I think it's good because... You know, in the
0: future, my belief is that privacy is only going to get worse and worse. You know, Google is right now going through a lot of antitrust issues. Facebook repu- rep- Facebook's reputation is like in the garbage, candidly. Like, I don't think most millennials and Gen Z think about Facebook in a very positive way. Um, and so I do think that over the next four or five, 10 years, if you take a look at where the world is going, these companies are going to start to break up. People are going to start to look for other options of where they share their data. I mean, DuckDuckGo is a good example of that. It. It's a search engine with 50 to 100 million users. It's growing exponentially each month because more and more people are like, why would I want to search on a platform that doesn't even give me anything in return except for ads, which I hate, but takes all my data and retargets me in like multiple different ways and profits off my data. So, again, I love DuckDuckGo. I just think what we're building is for a different audience. Like, if you don't want to be tracked, go to DuckDuckGo. But if you want to share your data and you want to get something of value back, there isn't any solution out there right now except for what we provide. Um, if you want to use your own browser, obviously, if you want to use a separate browser, there's Brave, there's Generate, but those are all entirely different.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the uh, inspiration starting with the, what's something absolutely crazy that we can do that people are <laughs> coming, right? And, it's uh, Kevin Kelly said something about this with anything real begins with the fiction yeah. of what could be. So, yep. imagination is therefore the most potent force in the universe and a skill that you can also get better at. And we've seen that with um, Airbnb's six star model, for example, that we've talked about on the podcast yep. before. Yep. So, you are obviously a very young CEO. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're 24 years old, if I'm not
0: Yes, 24.
2: So, I can't imagine hiring as a 24 year old because, yeah. like I've, I mean, I guess you played the uh, the field a bit. But what are some of the hiring mistakes that you may have made so far? And if you haven't, what's your compass for finding great talent?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've made a ton of mistakes, not only on the hiring but also just the managing side in general. Um, I mean, keep in mind, I started True when I was 20, so. Um, you know, the first few executives that we hired were way older than we were. Um, you know, my CMO is currently in her early forties. My CTO is in her, in his late thirties. Um, my co-founder Onik is actually a year younger than me, which is nice because, you know, we started this together and it's nice that, you know, he's around my age. So we vibe on more things than, than you can even think of. Um, but yeah, like it, it I think the two biggest mistakes I made is number one, you know, I, I hired people sometimes, you know. In a rushed way, like I needed to get the job posting down and I needed to show investors we hired someone. So I hired someone very quickly. And then once I hired them, if they weren't working out, I took too long to fire them as well because I didn't want to be that person. It's always tough, you know, especially when you haven't done a, a firing before. Like it just feels weird to go on a call and especially tell someone older than you that, like, sorry, just don't come back to work tomorrow. Um, and the second big thing was trust and delegating work for a long time, um, especially pre COVID. I felt like I hired people, but didn't like allow A players to be A players. Like I'd hire them and then not give them the meat of the work because I wanted to keep that to myself or to my co-founder because we felt that we could do it the best. And that's just not scalable, obviously, right? Like I can only focus on a few things every day. So I need to be very diligent now more than ever about where I spend my time. And there's certain things I have to let go and just trust that my team is going to be able to figure it out and make the right decision. But that did take a little bit of like having to get over because again, it is also my baby, right? So I feel very possessive over TruthN. I don't want a brand or a product to be bad. I don't want it to ever go down the gutter. So there are certain kind of times where even now, like I'll be a little bit more involved than the average CEO because I do feel very kind of positively about what we build.
1: That's awesome. So kind of going off that note, entrepreneurship, I feel like, in recent times, especially on like Instagram and LinkedIn has been like super, super glorified, right? We have all these Gary V's in the world and I feel like society used to idolize rock stars and vilify capitalists, but now we're idolizing CEOs and, and entrepreneurs and all that, which I think is definitely a step in the right direction. There are a lot of, you know, cool things about entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurial struggle, but how do we move towards sort of like a more sustainable vision of entrepreneurship and What are some of the things about entrepreneurship that you think aren't suitable for everyone that like Instagram kind of like glorifies, but, you know, doesn't really show the true side of of entrepreneurship.
0: So I'm, I'm, you know, I, I maybe matured in the last three or four years because like those types of people were like people who I saw as like, whoa, this is what the life is, you know, like the private jets and the cars and the bottle service and all that. I was like, yeah, this is, this is the life. And then like, you know, in 22, 23, having done a little bit of that, not like definitely a lot, <laughs> um, but obviously doing a little bit of that has made me kind of realize that like, you know, living life around a problem that you really want to solve and being very motivated by that problem is possibly the greatest feeling you can have. So I guess the one thing I don't appreciate about the glorification of entrepreneurship is it tends to talk about the results and the byproduct of it, which is money, fame, recognition, awards, blah, 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 which are great, but they don't tell the entire story of what it really takes to be an entrepreneur and stick it out, which is being very attached to the problem you're solving. Like even with surf, like I am jazzed every day about the fact that we're giving points to people, you know, like we're just giving them points, even if it's like, you know, like we had our first redemptions this week and it's like, That just gives me so much happiness to be like four or five people this week already have gotten a $10 Amazon gift card that they otherwise would not have gotten if they were just browsing the internet like normal. And that just kind of gives me goosebumps. And I think that's the reason why even if bad things happen in TrueFan, like even if we face a big roadblock, I will continue to badger away at trying to figure out how to get out of it. Because like, I am just so attached to making sure that more and more people can feel like, oh, wow, I got compensated for my data. That's something I just yeah. find a lot of happiness from. So that's I think maybe story. attaching yourself to that. Yeah, attaching yourself to that is a lot better than... B is aud- auditing who you follow as well, right? I think we have that luxury now on Instagram to obviously just unfollow people that are you know, putting out the wrong kind of notion of entrepreneurship. And it's kind of For easy sure. to tell who it's. Like if you're selling courses, you know, that's probably a red flag already. <laughs> um, <laughs> if, if you're calling yourself an expert, that's probably a red flag um and then obviously you know if you're if if your posts are all just about lambos and private jets and that's also probably a red flag too so audit who you follow make sure you follow people that are actually really passionate about what they're doing
2: yeah those are all the uh, next iteration of the mlms that we've seen have passed so yeah
0: uh, it's getting hard right it's getting yeah i know right it's getting hard to figure out kind of who's fake and who's not and what i mean by that is just like it's so weird because you have all these entertainers and influencers now that have like gotten into people's like heads and social media interacting with people who are kind of fake and giving them legitimacy, like especially yeah. in crypto, for example, all these shit coins and all these NFT projects that are absolutely BS. have just been getting so much fame and so much attention because of the fact that a lot of big influencers have been reposting it saying, oh, you know, come make a quick buck with me. Let's do something together. Um so that's just one note is, you know, I got, you got to be very careful. Like, even if you look up to certain people, just know that they are, like, very susceptible to scams as well and to affiliating themselves with the wrong people. So just continue to do your own research. That's my biggest thing. And especially with NFTs and crypto as well, do your own research. Only invest in stuff you truly believe in.
2: I mean, that's mm-hmm. the nefarious thing about um, source authorities, right? A lot of people yeah. are too lazy to do their own research. Like, they lack that intellectual rigor to be able to, you know, you need to put in the hours to do that. And yep. for a lot of people, they just want to be told what to do. They want to make yep. a quick buck and that's it. And I don't think ever move from that.
1: That's how you get people taking horse the warmer, right? So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. 100%, 100%. Yeah, so on that note, actually, one thing I'm pretty interested in is the idea of, like you mentioned, you, you want to keep badgering at this problem. This problem really excites you. Yeah. But one thing I'm interested in is, when do you know when to call it quits on something? Uh, and you're definitely not at that point with Sir, if you're not at that point with TrueFan. But uh, I'm assuming you've gone to that point with some of your other ventures. Like, when do you know that, hey, this idea is not working out, you know, never give up and all that, you know, keep working hard, keep working hard. But sometimes you got to call it quits and pivot onto the next thing, right? For your own growth and for the health of the company. So how do you know when you've gone to that point? I mean, before TrueFan, the only really project that I was fully
0: committed to. And by that I mean like I was full time on was Dunk. And Dunk again was a project started by my roommate in New York, Elliot, who had started this big Instagram account at Dunk. And then he had gotten basically me on board. I was his roommate, gotten me on board as his co-founder to kind of manage the business side. And I did that for about nine, nine, 10 months. And you know, after I stepped back, I became more of an advisor. And the reason I did that primarily is because it just wasn't my baby. Like I loved it. It taught me a lot about influencer marketing, taught me a lot about building a community from scratch. I actually credit a lot of my LinkedIn community and my Instagram community and how I built it to Elliot and the lessons he taught me through building Dunk with him. But I I genuinely do feel like, you know, that feeling of like every day waking up and saying, I'm kind of working a job and I'm not really in control in my opinion of like the direction of where we go and what we could be doing as well. That was something I really wanted. So I guess for me, you know, right now I haven't had a feeling of like, I need to quit definitely in truth. And it have been days where I'm like, Holy crap, we're in a tough situation. I don't know how we're going to get out of it. But again, like, I, I think that's maybe one trait that I think most entrepreneurs need to have is persistence. Like especially if you're attached to the end problem and you do see the world that you want to live in. Like I see the world I want to live in. I see a world where every single person on planet earth should be able to log in eventually, And they should see every place they share data to and how much they're making out of each each site. Um, That's the end goal, right, for TrueFan is we become that rewards partner for consumers and that data partner for brands and becoming the bridge between the two. Um, And so now that I see the world, it's just about pushing towards it because I know that this is a it's a world that's likely to happen. It's a world that should happen both practically and principally. So it kind of becomes like the onus is on me now to figure it out and get over everything.
2: And you need that kind of sense of purpose. That's bigger than you are who you are to, to keep it going. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, and again, like, you know, it doesn't like, you know, even if you quit, it doesn't mean you'd quit entirely from the idea, right? Like maybe, you know, maybe this idea what we're doing with surf and true fan isn't the right way to get to that end vision. And that's fine. Like, you know, if that ever happens, knock on wood, I'll have to take a step back, reassess, but this is a problem. This is the world that I really am interested in fixing and, and building. So <laughs> Know maybe there's another angle or approach to it, right? That I could go and figure out and start tackling the problem in a different way as well. But again, attach yourself to problems, attach yourself to visions of what you see the world being, because those are the types of things that will always give you conviction and they will never give you doubts, hopefully.
2: Absolutely. And so, I have a question you kind of touched on influencer marketing before with Dom. And I think we're seeing like an interesting trend recently. So while a lot of people fantasize about the thought of becoming a founder, it's still a very terrifying thing, right? It can still kind of get people to stop in their tracks, but there's been this interesting trend, I think of greater startup success rates because founder, we're seeing more people first building communities and Mm -hmm. finding these audiences before building a company or product to serve that community. Mm -hmm. I think that you are kind of complicit in that a bit.
0: Perhaps. I mean, I never had a big hit before TrueFan. Not even saying TrueFan's a big hit, candidly. Like We're still, again, like I said, figuring things out. But even before TrueFan and before Dunk, I mean, I just had a number of ideas. Most of them didn't work. You know, try to start a food delivery app for university students to get leftover and excess food at U of T. That was amazing to build the app for six months until we realized that we couldn't actually monetize donated food because of a regulation in Canada. And we're like, well, we probably should have done our research before. <laughs> right.
1: um,
0: you know, tried to start a social media agency that actually spanned across two years. Um, and we definitely got some clients, but it just, again, wasn't a scalable business that I felt like was going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we started a company called Millennial Council. I, write, I wanted to write policy papers for politicians, but all the policy papers were written by students under the age of 25 in all four continents of the world. And again, that didn't work because of scheduling errors. You know, it was hard to schedule all one meetings where people could come together and share ideas across different time zones. So again, I I think I tried a number of these things even before I built a community online. And one, one of the things I am proud about is even when I was building a community online, I never claimed to be an expert ever. I always just claimed to be like a funnel. Like I will go and interview high net worth people, high profile people, people I look up to. I will ask them really good questions and I will create a good narrative, whether it's in a podcast form or whether it's in written content and share it to students that I think need to hear from them, right? And that's what I did for at least two, three years until I started TrueFan where I did feel like I could talk about something. I could talk about mental health. I could talk about networking. I could talk about social media. I could talk about hiring and building a business and fundraising because I'd actually done it. So that's one thing I am happy about, which I don't think most people do, is I've actually done the things that I talk about, whether it's on social or when I'm speaking. I only try to stay around things I've done.
2: Yeah, and that seems to be the great filter between real entrepreneurs versus like those you can kind of see on social media, the people that are selling those courses, right? Like if-
1: yeah. <laughs> speaking of doing, if yeah. I were to give you a blank check, $10 million spent on True Founder Serve do with that money i mean i'd
0: hire let's go like we gotta take surf to the next level you know like let's uh obviously right now with surf we're only taking in web data from people um and we're anonymizing and cohorting it and then sharing it with brands um but obviously you know we're rewarding people on the other side as well so with 10 million bucks i mean let's reward people even better hire more people on the sales and marketing side and let's try to go after google candidly you know i i think i'm very like you know, people sometimes roll their eyes when I say this, but I, I do really believe that, you know, if you take a look at the five, 10-year outlook of TrueFan and what we could become, I do believe we could become a better Google. Like, we, like in the sense of we aren't a search engine, obviously, but we would be a much more ethical data provider because of the fact that we compensate every single user we get data from and give them control of their data fully. So I find that to be very interesting. And, you know, hopefully with that $10 million, I could put it towards that.
2: You don't think, though, that when it comes to seeing grand success on that scale, that there is going to be conflicting interests when it gets to that point. Like I'm sure, I'm sure Google also started with pure intentions at heart, right? And then now Facebook, uh, Twitter, like all these other platforms, like there is some aspect of conflicting interests in there that the founders may not necessarily have envisioned when they first started. So
0: I I disagree with that a little bit like I don't think the people at Google by the way are bad people like I don't like if you're working for Google great job it's an awesome company there's so many good things going for it um Google is not a villain in the world in my opinion however obviously there are a couple of things I don't appreciate about what Google has done right and again keep in mind Google was born during a time where It didn't even matter if we were compensated for our data. In 2008, 2009, we didn't have the ability to opt out or provide meaningful consent. You know, we were just going into the first phase of social media and the internet. All we cared about was free Facebook, free Google Maps, free WhatsApp. And we gave our data without even asking a question. But obviously, times have changed, right? Cambridge Analytica, Facebook data leaks. People are becoming a little bit more aware of the fact that every piece of data they share is being categorized and sold and every action they take online is actually telling big tech about them. So with that in mind now I do think we need a changing of the times and that's where Google, Amazon, Facebook in my opinion need to be held accountable.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So with the with this name like swish. Yeah. Most people would assume that you're a fan of basketball.
0: I would hope
2: <laughs> and I have a question inspired by one of my favorite basketball uh, NBA players of all time uh, yeah. Yeah. And that is Muggsy Bogues nice. so for those who don't know he Muggsy Bogues is five foot three and he is the shortest NBA player of all time and his entire life this guy was ridiculed for his height but it never deterred him from you know loving the game And instead of adapting to everybody else, he made them adapt to him, right? So he was really good at turning his disadvantage into an advantage. He made other people adapt to his playing style. So when they went high, he went low. Have you, like, are there any instances you think that you've done that in your own life?
0: I mean, definitely. Like with speaking, for example, like I would say, you know, when you hear me speak, I'm maybe not the most like eloquent speaker. Um, And obviously, like I mentioned this a few times, but in grade seven, you know, having a list definitely wasn't the best thing for public speaking, like having a hard time seeing your R's and S's. It is a little bit tough, obviously, when, you know, you have a name like Swish or my whole name, Swaro Chish, which has a lot of R's and S's in it. Um, and so there was obviously kind of that moment where, you know, joining debate, not joining debate, that was the big question that was in my head. But that's where, again, I credit, you know, people like my mom, my brother, who pushed me to go and do things like debate which definitely made me more confident about speaking publicly and not really caring about how I sounded, but more what I said. Mm -hmm. So that's something I've talked about a lot. It's just, you know, I definitely think that for me, when it came to speaking, when it came to, you know, dropping out of school candidly and even starting a business, all of these things weren't planned, but they were obviously trying to take a look at like, what are disadvantages I have in my life? How can I flip the needle? On the opposite side though, I would also say I am quite privileged. Like, I I definitely haven't had that many disadvantages in life, which I'm very happy about uh, and very, you know, like humbled by. But at the same time, I'm also not like I'm cognizant of the fact that many people, you know, aren't in the same position as me. Right. Especially with, you know, whether it's socioeconomic class, whether it's your sexual orientation, whether it's your religion, whether it's, you know, you're an immigrant or not. Like there are people in in different boats that might have had it worse than me. And that's why I try to talk to those people as well and try to see if I can relate to them in any way I can. Mm
2: Man, I respect that so much. Like, it's something that's so important that more of us need to do because we take for granted so many of the blessings that we have in
1: our lives. 100%. 100%. The humility is, is such a key factor. Like The number one factor, whether you're a good human being or not, is are you able to recognize your own privilege? in my opinion? So yeah. I'm, I'm very glad you were able to do that. Um, <laughs>
2: is that gratitude is that one virtue that all other virtues stem from. And gratitude, gratitude is that one thing that you can consistently get better at, too, if you just practice it every day. So mm-hmm. that's the key to unlocking everything else.
1: But sorry, it's definitely. literally muscle. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I wanted to ask about Swish. How did you change your name? Why? Like, tell us but about I didn't. Started. I didn't actually
0: change my name. And this is you know, something I wish I could just blast through a megaphone <laughs> to the entire world. But so my real name is Suar Rochish, and my actual family nickname is Manu. So growing up in Singapore, and then when I moved to Calgary, my family and close friends used to call me Manu. Um, however, going into grade four, my mom told me, look, you should go with your full name. i thought all right you know i'll try going with my full name and tell people you know my name is swaro chish um there were obviously a couple of people that could not pronounce my name one of those people was uh, a teacher by the name of mr mcwilliam who is my daily physical activity teacher noticed i like basketball and he decided to just take the first two letters of my full name the last three letters put it together and call me swish and since that day i've told people my name is swish right in high school in college, online, I branded myself a Swish because I like that it's kind of the middle of both grounds, you know, like it's my real name mixed with a nickname and it kind of symbolizes who I am in terms of, you know, I love basketball. I like to think I'm a fun guy. So I, I feel like it's it's all encompassing for me. I love that. Yeah.
2: Um, so you mentioned your your parents and I'm, I'm yeah. curious because you also mentioned the privilege you were born with. And obviously yeah. if, I mean, you, you dropped out of your, uh, uni program, right. And for a lot of parents out there, that's a, that's a heart attack moment, right? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Were they, were they supportive of that?
0: I mean, definitely. Like, I think my, my mom obviously, and my brother were both actually concerned, obviously, when I, when I brought up the idea of like, hey, I might want to drop out. Um, Initially, actually, my mom had given me a year. She said, you know, within this year, do whatever you want. Um, Take a year to just build and then, you know, go back to school. And obviously, when, you know, at the end of that first year, I said, okay, well, True Fence kind of taken off. We raised a bit of money. I definitely want to go full time into this. That was a conversation we needed to have separately. But, you know, the biggest thing about them is I think they come from a place of love and good, which is they just want the best for me. So as long as I am showing that, you know, if I can take care of myself, I can live independently, I can make my own money, I'm being responsible, I'm actually focusing on work, I care a lot about my work, I think those are good signs to be able to give them more comfort that like, okay, he's figuring things out,
1: he's, you know, he's not like aimless and lost right now. And yeah, I totally empathize with that, because I feel like I've done a lot of like dumb moves in my life where my parents are like, nah, what are you going really <laughs> to do? Uh, yeah. But as long as they have like the faith that you're, you know, you're doing what's right for you and you communicate that it, it, it's usually pretty good. Uh, so on that note, one thing I want to ask is yeah. what single accomplishment have your parents bragged about most, uh, your <laughs> uncles and aunties that you've done? I mean that I've done, I mean, like my brother, I was about to say, it's like the poster right
0: there, right behind me. Um, yeah. I mean, this is such a great accomplishment. My brother in grade 12 won the world Schools debating championship in Qatar as part of team Canada. Wow. Wow. Um, and he became my coach as well later on in life when I was in high school and I was on the Canadian team as well. Um, I think the accomplishment, you know, from my parents' side in terms of what they like to promote maybe the most is uh, fan, honestly, and just, you know, having someone raise money from really cool investors. Um, my mom also likes, you know, a lot of the content that I share around mental health and speaking. She She finds that to be really great. So she tends to, like, repost a lot of those on LinkedIn, or she tends to, like, watch my keynotes or podcasts when i talk about mental health so she's very proud about that as well you know given the fact that you know this is an issue that has affected a lot of us not only family members but friends as well
2: and do you um, think that uh, debating experience and closing negotiations with investors
0: <laughs> i mean it definitely doesn't harm right like just the yeah. fact of debating you know in terms of being confident when you speak listening to people which is actually the most important skill in debating is listening to what people are actually saying. Um, and then I think finally, the ability to think on your feet and answer questions well. I mean, all three things have just been unbelievable when it came to sales, hiring, and, inv- and getting investors on board. So absolutely, I think debate's done a lot for me.
1: Speaking of investing, actually, so you've been on both sides of the table. You've raised money from a ton of really cool different VCs and people. Uh, And you've also been on the other side of the table with Ajax and invested in people. So what have you learned about the process of raising money and and venture capital and and angel investing um, from being on both sides of the table?
0: Yeah, I mean, before actually, so it's funny because when I was in New York, before I started working on Dunk, I was for the summer working at a VC called J.B. Fitzgerald. So it was awesome to be able to work on deals like DC United, for example, I was the associate on that deal for the summer, looking at you know JB Fitzgerald getting involved in an MLS team. Um, and they actually eventually did it, which is amazing. Um, but it was really cool to kind of see from a VC landscape, like how did they go about thinking of investing They were a little bit more kind of later stage. So, you know, numbers, traction, metrics, a lot more important to them than it really is for me personally right now. Like when I do an angel deal, you know, I'm typically writing a check between 10 to 20,000 and I'm only funding ideas that I believe in, but also people that I believe in as well right? So do I really vibe with the founder? Do I have friends that are also investing? Do I really believe this market could grow big? Do I believe the team itself beyond just the founder is smart? that's what I look at. Um, And I'm kind of like a person that goes by my gut. You know, I I don't tend to read pro formas or financial documents and cap tables before I make a decision. I tend to just go with my gut. And if I do believe it's a cool idea, I'll put a little bit of money in. And and one of the things I try to avoid is having any form of regret, because I find that to be like the worst feeling in the world is when like three years later, you regret something. I just don't like having those types of feelings.
1: So how do you avoid regret as an investor? Because there's so much in, FOMO it, out there, I feel like. There
0: is a lot of FOMO out there. I mean, number one is like actually realize like, do you want to do this? You know, I think like even with NFTs, for example, like I had a lot of FOMO going in and then I realized that like there were only certain projects I wanted to back. And even now, like I think I only had like six NFTs or something because the only NFTs I get are ones where either my friends and I are going all in together because it's just fun to like, you know, be on a ride together and continuously talk about it when you're at dinners and stuff. Or it's artists that I really, really love. So, one of my friends actually, Onik, my co founder for TrueFan, got me into this artist, Boss Logic, who does all the art for the Marvel movies. And, you know, I follow him on Instagram now. I check out his art. He's an amazing, talented artist. And he put out these gauntlets, right? Like the Thanos gauntlet, but like different variations of it. And I picked one up and I thought it was really cool because now it's gauntlet holder. I'm part of this community. He's in the community. You get to interact with him. You get to like hear about upcoming projects he's working on. It's kind of nice to like not only own something for the sake of making money, but be a part of a larger community. So that's like going back to kind of the original question. That's like one of the ways you avoid FOMO. It's like actually understand what you want out of the deal and and try to orient yourself in that way. Don't just do something for purely money. Do it because you're looking forward to something in the grand scheme of things.
1: Mm -hmm. That's great advice. And then also, if you know what you're looking for, you don't get FOMO from things you're not looking for because you're not looking. Exactly, for you right. Know- it's like, you know,
0: there's probably been a lot of deals where I'm like, no, probably not the right time either because, you know, I just didn't have the money to be able to fund them at that time, or it just wasn't the deal I was interested in. I bet there have been deals like that where they've gone on to raise four, five, six X evaluation they were giving to me. But you know, that, that is what it is. Right. Like I, I don't, I don't really feel a lot of regret from like financial losses as much as like that was a really cool person. Probably should have backed them. Look at what a great job they've done,
1: blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So would you say that's Ajax's thesis? Avoid FOMO, avoid regret? <laughs> I wish. I mean, that would be hilarious on the website. How we avoid FOMO. I mean,
0: <laughs> again, the Ajax mission statement, you know, has always been just fund the great entrepreneurs that are tackling big problems. Um, and so, again, if you convince me that you're an awesome entrepreneur and you convince me you have a really big market size, those are probably the two biggest things I'll look at before anything else. Um mm-hmm. And again, like I'm, I'm very happy because even with Ajax, it's been like a childhood dream. Like I remember writing Ajax when I was 10 years old because I always wanted to start a company around this name. So to be able to now have kind of an angel fund around this name, is kind of being like a childhood dream come true.
1: That's awesome. Love yes. to see a childhood dream
0: come true. <laughs>
2: and I love the YOLO investment thesis too, because, you know, like we all need a little YOLO in our lives. And yeah. <laughs> uh, of nfts too because i saw that you got roham on as an investor for true fan right yep. and, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, people might know him more by his nba top shot fame but yep. did that get you interested more in the nft space at all considering your basketball fan as well
0: yeah i think it did um it's worth noting actually my co-founder Onik, his personal mentor growing up was roham so mm-hmm. roham was the one that interviewed Onik for stanford and he went to stanford for two years before dropping out as well And, you know, after his first year at Stanford, uh, Onik in 2016 went to go intern at Axion Zen, which was what, you know, came out of Dapper Labs. Sorry, what Dapper Labs came out of, my bad. Um, And so in 2016, he started talking to me a lot about crypto, even before we were working together, because he was working on like the early days of CryptoKitties and TopShot and telling me all about this collectible space. And at that time, I was like, God, this sounds pretty stupid. And now I'm like, okay, you know, it's actually pretty smart, you know, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things
2: absolutely yeah so we are getting a little close to time do you have any questions for it or do you want to jump into our favorite final question
1: oh geez okay to jump into the <laughs> the final question i can ask it if you want yeah absolutely go ahead for sure all right swish uh this is this is the question we like to ask all our guests before we part ways with them and I, I think uh we've come to realize how how great of a question it is because it really gets to the core of what somebody cares about and the question is If you could put any one message on a billboard that would reach billions, millions, even billions of people, and you can cater this audience to whatever you want, uh, what message would you put on that billboard and why?
0: Uh, I mean, something I've said a lot during talks I've given about mental health is there's no such thing as being normal, there's just being human. Um, I think that's probably the most important message I could tell people. And I think the cool thing about it is it doesn't just apply to mental health, it also applies to, you know, you're, you have adults, you know, who have kids that they feel are different, but, you know, like, again, I think kids are actually the coolest because they come in all different forms. They grow up into all different forms. And if you appreciate those differences and realize there's no standard, normal standard route to success or standard expectations, it'll allow them to go and blossom in ways that you didn't even imagine. I think I am exhibit A to that. Like I, again, come from, you know, a family that, you know, was pretty linear with their path previously. Uh, But then obviously being able to break off a little bit from that, um, and do other things that were kind of encouraging, like very much to me based on my early passions. Mm -hmm. I think that's been a great sign of the fact that like, you know, you can come from different walks of life, you can come from different backgrounds, but as long as again, as you're human, like you're fine.
2: Yeah, we need to remind process. ourselves of that sometimes. You lose it along the way. Also, we lose our that natural born curiosity that we're kind of made with as a kid. And it's just sad to see, man. Kids ask those questions.
0: That's the third thing I know. So the three things I normally tell people when they're like, what do you look for in an entrepreneur? It's persistence. It's sacrifice. So the ability to let go of certain things for the greater good. And the third is curiosity. And, and I find that a lot of entrepreneurs will have two of the three checked out. And normally the one that isn't checked off is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, I don't know why we, we tend to just get curiosity kicked out of us. Um, maybe it's because of school. Maybe it's because of expectations that, you know, you have to hold yourself to societally. Mm-hmm. But um, I find curiosity be the single greatest thing. It's candidly the reason why we even came up with Surf. You know, if we weren't curious about what more can we do? What's next? What is the craziest but smartest thing we could do, right? That's the question we kept asking ourselves. I don't think we would have come up with Surf and launched it today.
1: I love that. How do you hone yeah. that curiosity because I feel like it is one of those skills like you have to like it, ensure that you're feeding that curiosity day by day if you let it go out it's like it's really hard yeah. to reignite it so yeah I'm- what do you do to feed that
0: curiosity. Two, two things i mean number one pretty obviously just surround yourself with people that are also curious right like you know you want to go and and be around people that are interested in things that maybe you're not interested in but they're just so madly passionate about it that you somehow get passionate about it too you know like when passion rubs off on other people just based on yeah. energy When someone's
1: excited about what they're talking about it's just so contagious like i felt that when you were talking about true fast
0: yeah but it's just like yeah. wow i'm okay. i'm like you know, you guys might not be interested in data, but hopefully now you're like, oh, that actually kind of sounds cool. Um, Number one is surround yourself with people like that. And the second is uh, absorb as much content as you can without going crazy. But like for me, you know, during my time off, I don't read as much, but I do like watching a lot of YouTube videos and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I find that to be great just to tune into something entirely different from what I do, learn about a new topic altogether um, it mm-hmm. just kind of opens up your mind to like, oh, whoa, there's this whole other side of life that I haven't even talked about or thought about that people are engaging with and maybe I can get involved in too. So mm-hmm. those would be kind of my two biggest suggestions, their content and the people you surround yourself with. any
1: any uh favorite content recommendations for audience other than obviously the next iteration podcast (laughs) yeah other
0: than the next iteration podcast i think the two that come to mind is number one i actually you know say what you will about logan paul i find his impulsive podcast to actually be awesome so i I really Mm. like that podcast he brings on great guests um and i find that to be to be really entertaining to watch um and then i guess the joe rogan podcast too right like that's you know, unbelievable being able to have people like Elon and, and, you know, having people like Larry King back in the day, come on for like an hour and just literally share their entire worldview. It's, it's pretty underrated stuff in my opinion.
2: No, you know, I mean, definitely not underrated, but one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation is hands down, Mr. Beast. Like he's a visionary. He's, yeah. He's going to be a billionaire one day. I guess.
0: Oh, he, he if he doesn't, I'd be very surprised, you know, because he just has figured out how to get attention, but then also funnel that attention into like good. Mm-hmm. And like, that is the best type of entrepreneur is if you can figure out how to provide a utility that adds upon itself. Like that is the best thing you can do as an entrepreneur.
2: An entrepreneur with integrity. We love exactly. that. Exactly. Very
0: much,
1: very much so. Very cool. rare, but you know, if you find one, don't let them go. yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Before we sign off, is there anything you would, I mean, you kind of talked about TrueFan and and, um, uh, Surf a bit, but is there anything else you'd like to promote or where can people reach you?
0: No, yeah. If you want to talk, uh, talk to me directly, LinkedIn, I think would be the best place to reach out. Just Swish Kiswami. Hopefully there's no other Swishes on your LinkedIn. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, if you're interested in downloading Surf and uh, you know, it's a free browser extension, you can start earning off your data today. Just join surf.com and you can download it on Chrome, Firefox, and Opera.
2: And uh, you Amazing. can use Tesla. Is that right?
0: Yes, actually until November 9th we are giving away a Tesla. So sign up before then. Okay. And <laughs> for a chance to win
2: 100%. That's insane. All right, thank you again so much Swish. Thank you for the the gems, the nuggets of wisdom you dropped. Um we definitely have a lot of interesting budding young entrepreneurs within our community, so I'm sure they'll find a ton of value in the things that they in the things that you've dropped in this episode. So thank you for joining us and for is there any last thoughts you would love to to drop in before we sign off?
1: Uh, not much. I just I just want to say, I actually saw you speak at Hack the Valley in like 2017 or something, like four years ago. And that was like my first exposure to you. So it's, it's pretty cool, like going full circle and having you on the podcast like four or five years later. So yeah, thank you for coming on, man. It was, it was amazing. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. Thank you for listening. Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration.